John, that was a great intro. You really understand the work of the conference and the denomination, so he's been listening. <laughs> That's great. Uh, again, I'm Kara Stromberg. I've been superintendent for, for actually about eight months, even though I've served as uh, on staff at the Northwest Conference for about 10 years, mainly in children and youth serving roles. My heart beats for the next generation and with a deep conviction and desire that these next generations that follow us will have faith. And so people will often say, why do you want to be superintendent? <laughs> it's like, because I believe so passionately that we can do everything we can to make sure these next generations have faith. I was called to ministry when I was 17 years old. My youth pastor took me out to Dairy Queen and sat me down and said, Kara, I see ministry gifts in you. I think you should consider going into youth ministry. And, and I remember thinking, huh, that's curious. And I, in my mind, uh, as I remember the story, I said something along the lines of, thanks but no thanks, I'm going to get a real job. <laughs> uh, because to me, youth ministry just seemed so fun hanging out with kids, talking about Jesus. That sounded awesome. And um, I also had a couple uh, barriers. I said, well, I, I can't do that because I'm not that funny. I thought youth pastors were hilarious. Uh, I said, I don't play guitar, which apparently tells you what I thought youth pastors did, right? Play guitar and tell jokes. And I said, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a girl. <laughs> I can't, I'd never seen a, a female serving in any sort of leadership capacities at my church. And so I spent a number of years kind of holding this intention, this call of God on my life with, with systems that were not quite available to me. And I didn't know what that, that looked like. And so I, I just sat with that for a number of years and wrestled with the scriptures and talked to mentors and talked to pastors and, and gave that over to the Lord and eventually ended up um, serving in ministry, uh, in youth ministry, became ordained, went to seminary, and here we are. So it's an honor to serve as your superintendent. I'll share more about what that looks like uh, later on in the service. Uh, but let me open in prayer for all of us as we get started. Gracious God, I thank you for the gift of another day. Thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for the breath that's in our lungs. Uh, God, may our lives serve you and glorify you. God, may we be about your work. And this morning, may my words be your words, uh, used to glorify and, and edify uh, the body, uh, your people. God, this is your church. <laughs> and so, Lord, may you be present here this morning. Uh, give us wisdom. Give us peace. Uh, lead us in worship this morning through the preaching of your word. In your name we pray, amen. Well, last week was Easter Sunday, and I wonder how many pastors started their sermons with, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, quickly followed by, spring is here. <laughs> and uh, because spring was here for about five minutes last week, and um, I'm kind of grateful that your windows are uh, a little bit muted, so we don't have to look at the snow outside. Uh, but last week, I was full in spring mode. I mean, I, we live near uh, St. Thomas in St. In, uh, Paul, and so there's a lot of athletes and runners out and about. Everyone had their shorts on, and they were out running and exercising. And that's what I think of when I think of spring. I think of running and all those people who love running. Uh, because I know there are people out there who love running. <laughs> um, most of them, I think, look like they're in, in pain, honestly, uh, when they're running. <laughs> I've never been a runner in my life. I've always joked that I only run when somebody's chasing me. And so that's been, been my life. I've never been drawn toward that as a sport. I always thought that was for emergencies. Yet, 
A number of years ago, a representative from Team World Vision came to my church and they cast a vision for our church. They said, here is an opportunity for you. We want to let you know that there are 760 billion plus people throughout the world that lack access to clean water, which creates all sorts of problems and challenges, uh, puts kids and women and children particularly at risk of abuse as they have to walk many miles a day to go get water. Uh, usually it's dirty water that makes them sick. Uh, this creates a huge, huge problem. So Team World Vision created this, this event where they said, hey, we're going to recruit people to run a race while you raise money to go for clean water. So they could just ask people to raise money, right? But that's different than engaging in the running of a race, which sort of puts you in solidarity with people, children who have to walk multiple miles a day to get clean water. So this non-runner is sitting there in the pews thinking, I will do that. I will do that thing for these people, and I will make a difference for these people. And so I signed up to run uh, the Twin Cities Marathon. Um, most running coaches would say, that's not a good strategy. You don't start with that. You're going to get injured. You're going to not finish. You might die. Uh, and yet, <laughs> that I didn't know any better, and all my friends were doing it, and I signed up. And I entered into this process of six months of trying to learn how to be a runner. And I will say that I hated most of it. And so when I think of running, I think of suffering. And I had that six months of time slogging along, thinking of suffering, thinking of how uncomfortable I was, but trying to be propelled forward with this vision of doing this, this better thing, making the world a better place. But most of the time, I was thinking about suffering. And when I think about suffering, it lands me theologically right uh, in Romans 5. And I'd like to read this for you, because Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, is where I'd like to land in today. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, this is such a theologically uh, rich and deep passage. And, and Paul throws a lot around a lot of big theological words in this passage, starting in verse 1. He says that since we have been justified through faith, we can have peace with God through Christ. What he means is that God has declared us innocent and forgives us from punishment for our sins. Paul starts off by reminding us what this life of faith is all about. He reminds us of what we celebrated last week, what Christ did on the cross, and he names that truth that now we have access to Christ and the ongoing grace that comes with this. It's these first two verses that kind of make you stand back and say, whoa, that's right. That's what this is all about, isn't it? And we respond with gratitude and joy because this is the big picture gospel. Right there, summarized in those two short verses at the beginning of Romans 5. And then Paul shifts gears a little bit in verse 3. And he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, in addition, here's, here's where we perk up a little bit, we rejoice in our sufferings. Here's where we perk up and we say, hey, wait a minute. 
That took a, that took a turn. <laughs> I know Christ died for me. Christ suffered, and now you're saying, I have to suffer too? Doesn't sound like very fun. And not only that, but I should rejoice in it. But Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. So through that list, Paul talks about how Christ shapes us and forms us into the people of God through this life of faith. And so those four words, suffering, perseverance, character, and hope, is where I want to land this morning. And I'll call this the process of God working in us to transform us into more Christ-like people. A couple of points to this. Uh, The first thing that that comes to mind when I think of being transformed into Christ-like people, we need to start with the end in mind. When I told my father-in-law, who is a comedian, by the way, when I told him that I was going to run the marathon, he said, why would you do that? You're not going to (laughs) win. And I said, oh, come on. I said, thankfully, winning was not my goal. Um, my goals in that order were to uh, raise money for this, for this important cause, uh, not die, which I mentioned earlier, and third, finish the race. Uh, and the bonus to finishing the race is that when I finished, I was able to say to the winners of the race, I ran for twice as long as you did. <laughs> right? So that's, that's a nod to the slow people in the back. But if I ran only to win, I, was simp- I would have quit a long time ago. But to, but to run in a way that remembers that we run for a cause bigger than ourselves. And here I'm talking about the race of life, right? To raise awareness and, and money for clean water in that particular race because people were suffering, that was the motivation for me to keep going in that race. But as we approach this life of faith, we run for a bigger cause, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we keep that end goal in mind. Because if we stay focused on the day-to-day of life, the day-to-day slog of life, where sometimes things get so incredibly difficult, it's easy to get discouraged. But keeping the reminder that we have this hope in Christ that is an anchor for our souls, we keep that at the forefront. That is an encouragement that we're part of something beyond ourselves. Contrary to what social media might tell you, this hope is different from happiness. Shocking, right? (laughs) For people of faith. Hope doesn't mean, it doesn't say someday your struggles will be over and life will be easy and happy. It's not something you can maneuver or manipulate. Hope is this quiet assurance and confidence that what God has done for us through Christ and through the cross will sustain us and is our reason for moving forward. There's this assurance in what God has done through us, through Christ, that makes the suffering, perseverance, character, hope, developing pieces more bearable. That's why the word character is in this list. Character, not happiness. I don't see scripture that talks about God being concerned with our happiness. And yet you find a lot of parenting books and self-help books out there trying to be, make happy kids. I don't think that's what Christ is about. A few years ago, about 10 years ago, actually, I I saw this demonstrated in a very real and and tangible way. I was able to go to Haiti uh, with my church. And uh, we were doing some projects in the community of, of Williamson, and I noticed off to the side uh, this gentleman who was standing over a hole. Uh, you can see this hole is about three feet across, and I learned through our translator, Charles, that the hole was 100 feet deep. Any ideas what they were doing? They were digging a well. So Charles explained that there was a second man down in that hole. 
And these two men were working together to dig this well. One stayed on top and lowered the bucket down. Do you see all that rope there? That all goes down into the hole, and there's a bucket down at the bottom. And one guy climbed down into the hole, filled the bucket with dirt, and then brought it back up. It would take him a half an hour to climb down into this hole uh, to the bottom of the well. No ladder, no shoes. He just carved little footholds in the side and kind of shimmied on down. Once he got down there, he stayed down there for three to four hours before climbing out, switching places with the guy at top, and then he would go down, and that's how they dug the well. So I learned that this, I think I told you this, the well was 100 feet down at this point, and they'd been working on this for a year and a half. And Charles told us that they uh, thought they had another 20 feet to go before they hit water, and they'd been working on this for a year and a half. So this raised a lot of questions for me, <laughs> more than just questions of claustrophobia and danger, and oh my goodness. Um, it raised uh, questions of, of gratitude. Why, why do I get a house with faucets that just turn water on, right? And this is how other people live. So I asked Charles if it was guaranteed that if they went down far enough, they would find water. I mean, is it just guaranteed? You just keep digging, you're going to find water eventually? And he said, oh, not necessarily. But there's a 95% chance that they'll find water. Which begs the question, what if you don't hit water? What if you spend a year and a half doing this incredibly dangerous thing? What if you went 120 feet down over the course of two years and you decided to quit? What if it was the 121st foot that would have hit water and brought water, life-giving water to all of these thirsty people in your village? There are so many unknowns in this process of digging a well, but they do it because they need water. They are desperate for water, and they cling to this desperate hope that they will find it if they just keep going. The dedication and the focus of these individuals and the bravery to be able to, to do this day after day after day without even a 100% guarantee of finding water was amazing to me. Because what keeps you pressing on in this crazy endeavor of digging water by hand? Desperation for water, for one. And this crazy hope that you'll find it. Hebrews 10.23 talks about this. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to this hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure, so we don't grow weary and lose heart. That is the motivation that inspires us to keep digging and keep going. I'll tell you that I learned later they did hit water. And so now this, this town has life-giving, life-saving water for the village, and they started work on digging another well. I'll share with you uh, my second point in this journey of, of developing a life that, that follows Christ um, wholeheartedly we start with the end in mind, but also the journey matters. The journey matters. I have a member in my extended family who, uh, when faced with hardship or difficult news, tends to make comments like, oh, it's okay, God's in control, it's for the best. Not necessarily untrue parts of that, but I have found those comments to never be particularly helpful because they gloss over the importance of living the journey. The difficult journey. Yes, we absolutely keep the end goal in mind. And yes, we have hope in Christ. But suffering is actually a really important part of that truth because God often uses suffering to accomplish God's purposes. And here's where it gets tricky 
Because suffering in and of itself is not good. We don't rejoice because we suffer. (laughs) But just as resistance to a muscle strengthens it in weight training, so challenges to our hope can strengthen it, which is why God uses suffering to accomplish God's purposes. James 1, verses 2 through 4 talks about this. 1 Peter 1, 6. Our trials serve to test our faith and give strength to our our Christian commitment. Theologian Douglas Moo has a, a great quote. He says, The difficult times I go through loosen my tie to this world and bring me closer to the Lord. Our sufferings loosen our tie to this world and bring us closer to the Lord. He goes on to say, Also, we rejoice in the midst of not in our suffering. And there's an important distinction there as we're thinking about this. As I look back on my my running journey, that one fateful summer, I can point to the places in the cities as I ran around where I felt lost, lonely, scared. I wouldn't wish to go back there to any of those experiences, but I am so grateful to have persevered through it. I can't exactly articulate how and why, but there's gratitude, peace, a sense of accomplishment, even some fondness for looking back at that journey. I don't enjoy running. I still don't enjoy running, but I am glad to have run that race. I don't enjoy suffering by any means, but I am grateful for how God has shaped me through the hard times. You can't shortchange the journey. If you try to skip ahead and neglect the journey, it can cheapen the hope. Uh, The third thing that I'd like to say about this, this process is that we are not meant to do this journey alone. The question is, how might God be using you and your journey to encourage somebody else? Sometimes not doing this alone means you need people to help you. Sometimes people need you to help them. I still remember early on in my my pastoral journey, I was tagging along with a more experienced pastor doing some hospital visits. And there was one particular individual in our church who was in a really difficult place. He was in a hospital, he was bedridden, he was not able to communicate. And this seasoned pastor came into this room, and I was so uncomfortable. And the seasoned pastor went into this room and he said to this gentleman, he said, what might God have for you? How might God be using this experience to encourage or bless others? And I was sort of blown away because I approached this scenario from a place of of pity or empathy, thinking, oh, you poor individual, this must be so hard. And yes, it is hard. We don't discount the suffering. But this pastor friend flipped the script and he said, what might God have for you in this moment? And that still sits with me. So this process of suffering, perseverance, character, hope is meant to be done in relationship with others. I can't explain it, but I can go out for a run by myself and halfway through, shorter than halfway through, if we're being honest, I give up. I think, this is hard. I don't like this. This is not fun. I start walking. I get mad. I start thinking, why didn't God gift me in such a way that made me like this? Why am I so slow? This was a stupid idea, and I get on this downward spiral of despair. But I could go back and and run that same distance with a group of people, a group of friends, especially friends who like to talk a lot while they run, and it's not the same thing. Somehow it seems more bearable if you're on the journey with other people. I know these running examples are so trivial compared to what many people in this room are going going through right now. So thank you for bearing with me as I use that as an analogy. I'm fully aware that running does not in any way compare to some of the hardships that people are going through. But I hope you hear my heart in this. 
Allow God to work this process in you. To be one who perseveres through trials and allows God to build godly character in you is a really beautiful thing. One final thought before I close this message. I've worked with children and families and teenagers for many, many years, and I mentioned earlier that that's my heartbeat. That's what, that's what keeps me going in ministry. Young people, young people are facing struggles uh, and need some help gaining perspective as we navigate those. My friend and mentor, Tiger McLuhan, would always say, you were never their age in this age, right? It's easy for us who've been through the journey to look back and say, well, I was your age. Well, the world has changed. <laughs> we were their age once, but we were never their age in this age. And there's a whole new set of complexities and complications that make being a young person particularly um, challenging right now. What if, what if our churches, what if this church in particular decided we are going to be on young people's side, whether they like it or not, <laughs> whether they know it or not? I'm indebted to um, some, it's called Sticky Faith Research that comes out of Fuller Youth Institute. Um, it's, it's fairly old actually by now, but I think some of the, the statistics and the, the ideas still stand. And this research talks about how when we think about children and youth ministry, we think about ratios. Meaning if you're going to have somebody staff a nursery, if you've got five kids, you need to have one adult or whatever it is. It's probably less than that actually, isn't it, Jen? We'll talk later. <laughs> That's an example. But what if we flip that on its head? And we said for every child or young person in our congregation, we had five adults who cared about this person and were committed to being a loving, caring presence for this individual, and we were all for that person. What if we flipped that script and we used our experiences as, as older folks who've been around longer, who've been on this journey, to pour into nurture and courage, rally around our young people for the sole purpose of encouraging them to persevere through trials, holding on to the strong belief that God has only begun to accomplish his purposes in their lives because we need each other as we go through this journey of faith together. Two questions for you for reflection as I close this up. One, how is God present to you now in your life, in your journey of faith? What are the markers where God is present? Make a list. Write it down, because sometimes we forget. We get so bogged down by all the hard stuff, all the distractions. We forget the ways that God is present with us here and now. And the second question is looking back, how has God been faithful to you on your journey and not only just you individually, but your family, your family system going back generations before you, your church, your church community. How has God been faithful to you in this journey? And how might you use that testimony to encourage someone else as you go forward from this place today? Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, I thank you so much for who you are and who you are creating us to be. God, give us courage give us strength, fill us with perseverance that develops that deep godly character. Guard us from discouragement and ground us in your hope. Lord, we are so grateful and so uh, indebted to you. I thank you for the gift that it is to worship freely this morning to be reminded of that. And I ask that you will sustain and nurture and provide for this congregation uh, going forward. Lord Jesus, we love you and we trust you and we ask all of these things in your precious name. In your name we pray. Amen.